Week five is over, and I'm pretty sure this is the biggest news week we have had since the start of the NFL season. We're here to tell you all about those big stories and, of course, look forward to week six action. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Pod. Yeah, talk about news this past week. I mean, just so much going on across the league. It's it's insane. And um, good news, bad news. Uh, there was a variety of it, right? We saw um, the Falcons fire everyone in their in their office. You know, um, we saw Dan Quinn leave. We saw Thomas Dimitrov, their GM, also getting fired. Uh, we saw weird news. Um, you know, all the players that were getting hurt and um, things that were coming out of. I mean, COVID situations as well, you know, different players that were able to come back, which is great to see. But honestly, just such a scatterbrained week. I honestly can't pinpoint one story that stood out to me most. There's just so many things that happened. Um, it seems all in the last seven days. Yeah, this week really just was um, a flurry of stories. Unlike, I, like, really the first few weeks felt a little slow news-wise, right? It was like games were happening. We had a couple of bad injury weeks that would come up, but... Um, all of a sudden, yeah, you already noted the, the Falcons firing someone. Um, yes, this is game news, but the Chiefs lost to the Raiders. Alex Smith played his first football since a potentially career-ending injury. Dak Prescott is done for the year on a brutal ankle injury when he was having the best season of his career. Um, even just some other things, like the rookie receivers this week just absolutely went off. Chase Claypool was a big name after he scored four touchdowns. Le'Veon Bell got cut, and the rumors are that the Patriots, Dolphins, and Raiders had maybe tried to trade for him before the cut. And in what was probably one of the weirdest stories of the week, Ian Rappaport was suspended by NFL Network. That's been a weird week on Twitter, only seeing Schefter pop up. It's just been a nuts week. It feels like two or three weeks worth of stories all have happened in the last, yeah, six, seven days. Well, and what's interesting, sorry, just going back to that Ian Rappaport story, because I thought it was, I mean, kind of funny, right? Like, he's put on suspension, and or it sounded like he's suspended until what, the 21st or 23rd, something like think, that. Yeah, 20, and so, 22nd, I think. But Oh, okay, right in between. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you actually follow him on Instagram, he's been posting on his stories and he, he seems like he's quite bitter about the suspension and it seems as though he's not afraid to share the bitterness. So I'm quite interested to hear what actually went down there because I think it was his wife that was, she posted something on instagram and he shared on his story that was along the lines of this is what he does with his time off or something like that and he was saying today that he had a day off so he was golfing and it, it just the way that he like the text that he had made it seem like he was quite bitter about it which was quite surprising so it, it's like he didn't feel that uh that it was a deserved punishment is i guess what i'm trying to say so quite interesting there but yeah i agree you covered I mean, the majority of the big stories, right? Another name, I can't remember if you mentioned this, Daniel. Um, with the, the flurry of news, I may have missed it, but Chandler Jones is out for the year with a torn biceps. One of the best Yeah, didn't that have like in pregame warm-up? He tore them? Was that what happened? I'm not even sure. It was something, I don't, honestly, I didn't see a play that it happened. So yeah, I think, I, I think what happened I was in pregame, he tore it somehow. Because I remember there was like a photo of him walking over to the trainer before the game had even started. So I think... That's another, like, I don't remember the last time a player had a, got a major injury during pregame stuff. Yeah, no kidding. It's, uh, it's just crazy, right? And unfortunately, the majority of the news this week was, I mean, negative as opposed to positive. But there are some good news stories. And I have to say that it's, it's really great to see the fact that Cam Newton is back for the Patriots and able to practice tomorrow. Um, actually, the, 
today since we're recording this Wednesday but publishing it Thursday so when you're listening to this Cam Newton will be able to practice Stephon Gilmore is also in that same area the fact that the Tennessee Titans are actually able to play this week after you know however many weeks of just seeing cases go by um, or continue to increase however you want to say it so um, from a COVID perspective it seems like the league has gotten better in the past couple days as well which is really great so yeah crazy week of news and one of those stories that I brought up that was actually game related the Chiefs lost this week um, in a game that I I think most of us did not really see as a losable game Uh, they fell to the Raiders on Sunday and uh, just a crazy storyline with that Patrick Mahomes for the first time in his career lost a game by more than seven points which is really weird the fact that we actually have kept that stat or the fact that people actually looked into that stat was kind of neat, not something that, like, if you think about it, I mean, that's just crazy, the fact that he's always been in one possession games. I think that goes to, towards um, just how good the Chiefs have been while he's been there and just how good he is at keeping games close and keeping games entertaining, which is really cool. But I think there's two things that need to be acknowledged from this game specifically. Like, we talked about in the past how the Raiders, um, and actually that whole AFC West, went out this offseason and really tried to get faster from an offensive perspective, to match the speed of the Chiefs. And so getting Ruggs and getting Aguilar, two players who both had touchdowns this past week for the Raiders, um, just goes to show the fact that you know they strengthened themselves in the areas where they definitely needed to get stronger, which I thought was really cool. And I mean, both guys had two receptions, Ruggs for 118 yards and a touchdown, Aguilar for uh, yeah, yeah, two receptions, 67 yards and a touchdown, something like that. Like both had receptions for over 45 yards as their longest reception on the day. Like Ruggs was what a 72 yard touchdown. So I think that the Raiders really did go after where they needed to go after. And so it'll be interesting to see if this is a one-off and if it's just a divisional win because these teams know each other really well. Um, or if this Raiders team is actually a team to be afraid of in the AFC. But the other thing that stood out to me most was it's not like the, the Raiders forced a lot of turnovers, right? Mahomes threw one interception, but the fact that the Raiders' defense forced the Chiefs to punt five times, that stood out to me quite a bit as well. Um, the fact that Patrick Mahomes on five different occasions didn't get a first down on third down. Um, looking into it, I think that they've only had one other game this year where they had to punt five times. But um, if you can do that against this, this Chiefs offense, you've got to be doing something right. So two things that really stood out from this game. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the big thing now is... Um, and yes, they have to play one more time this season, but if all of a sudden the Raiders and the Chiefs have the same record, the Raiders are, are winning the division. That's that's crazy. The Raiders needed this game potentially down the road as this tiebreaker. This, this could end up actually having huge implications, even though it's so early in the season, because all of a sudden, yeah, say, say they play the Chiefs again later in the season and they, they lose by four. They still technically have the matchup on a tie, but on a better point differential. This game actually could be a huge determining factor. A, a team taking first seed in this division if the Raiders continue to play like they have this season. For sure. And, I mean, that's a really fun division to watch. I mean, it's mostly with just the, well, I think, yeah, for sure. It'll come down to the Raiders and the Chiefs in that division, potentially. You know, I, I wouldn't be as optimistic for the Raiders' sake to say that they'll be fighting with the Chiefs all season long, but they proved that they can at least contend. And so it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up in non-division games for sure. But I have to say that not only is that division really fun to watch, but I, I just have to segue into 
the AFC North and the NFC South, Daniel, those divisions are so fun to watch right now as well. The AFC North has three teams with four wins and the NFC South has three teams tied at three and two. I have to say that I didn't expect those divisions to be as tight as they currently are, but it's really exciting to see um, what they've, what they've proven to be through five weeks. Yeah. And I think, the NFC South is less intriguing to me. I I really don't know how good any of those three football teams are. Seeing the Bucks lose to the Bears was not something I was mentally prepared for. But that AFC North is absolutely stacked. Uh, Pittsburgh has been dangerous. And now maybe we just saw the emergence of Chase Claypool. I want to believe because I really like his skill set. But um, all of a sudden, they might have another crazy weapon. Baltimore is still Baltimore, even though they have not been the same phenom they were last year. And Cleveland has been playing great, like really, really great. They actually, do they have the most points scored on the season? I think they do. Give me one sec. Um, oh, no, Seattle. Only Seattle has scored more points than Cleveland through five weeks of football. Um, this, wow. is, this is a crazy division. The Cleveland's offense is, is going off. Baker Mayfield is playing well. So, yeah, uh, the NFC South is definitely fun because of the, the three teams. Atlanta is really terrible, which is unfortunate. But that AFC North, I think, is going to be probably the best division in football to watch down the stretch. Well, and the interesting thing is I saw a quote. I can't remember who it was from. But, uh, like, actually going and looking at the stats and seeing how this comment was backed up. I mean, Baker Mayfield isn't even playing good football right now. And the Browns are 4-1. So as soon as you put him into the equation, if he can be a, a strength to that team as opposed to a weakness, that team's gonna be that team's gonna be unreal. Right, right now they're second in the league, I believe, in turnover differential, um, with a plus six. They've only given the ball up six times and have taken the ball away twelve times. So I think that that defense right now is their strength. But man, as soon as Baker Mayfield actually clicks into gear and is playing at a you know a good enough level, um, this team is going to definitely put up a fight in that division. I have to say that it's going to be really interesting to see if they, like the Browns, as the underdog in that division, and as the Panthers in the NFC South underdog there, if those two teams stand any chance for the duration of the season, or if this is just an early um, early in the season kind of outlier, or whatever you want to call it, right? Are these guys flukes, or are they for real? I think that's what's most interesting to me, is just watching what those teams, who people didn't really expect them to be where they are, how they're going to perform for the rest of the year. Another story that was kind of a big part of the news this week was that Alex Smith did hit the field again. And that was, um, of course, due to, due, an injury, due to an injury to Kyle Allen. But um, I think the big story to watch in Washington now is a lot of these rumors swirling around Dwayne Haskins. Of course, a first round QB, what, only two years ago, I believe. And if you're following the rumor mill so, yeah. at all, you're, you're hearing a lot of stories coming out now that his work ethic was absolutely terrible, that after losses, he would be bragging about his stats in the locker room. And now the rumors are saying that the, the sorry, the Washington football team caught myself. They want to have Haskins out of there by the trade deadline. That's absolutely crazy. Dwayne Haskins might not be a member of Washington in just a couple of weeks. Ultimately, not that surprising. Um, just the way that he played it. And to your point, right, like that work ethic is a big deal. If you're a struggling quarterback and that you have that work ethic and it's just a matter of getting everything to click, you know, teams might be a little bit more patient with, with you, but he was what 16th overall, a couple of years back in the draft in the between 10 and 20, I believe. 
And so, I mean, a team making this kind of move this early into a guy's career just goes to show that they don't have faith in him whatsoever. Um, there was a couple things floating around social media that were talking about a quarterback being in the right system. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill as an example, right? Someone who played for, who was it, Adam Gase in Miami and just didn't do well there. And now in Tennessee, he's just been flourishing. And so there are some you know, debates that, okay, maybe it's the system as opposed to the specific quarterback. But when you don't have a good work ethic, man, you set, like you screw up everything for yourself. So um, it'll be interesting to see if a trade disciplines him or if, uh, I, I mean, no one's going to take him on, right? Like if he gets cut, is any team going to give him a chance to be a second string or a third string? Who knows, right? Who knows? He is still practice lots, squad, <laughs> lots which sounds a little crazy for a former first round pick, but um, that, who knows, maybe he gets cut and ends up on a practice squad as a, as a COVID backup if someone needs him. But yeah. um, the last big story I think we got coming out of this week was, of course, everything with, with Tennessee, right? The, they were being accused of uh, being a, what's the word? Being, I guess, irresponsible in, in following the different COVID guidelines. And a lot of their players yeah. came out and said, like, you know, we're, we're taking note of this. We're like, we see what you're saying. And they came out and uh, they proved it. They absolutely bullied the Buffalo Bills, beating them 42 to 16 on Tuesday night. You know, I, I didn't think Tennessee was that good, um, but I do think Buffalo is really good. So after seeing this game, I don't know. I feel like you never want to give NFL teams bulletin board material. And most of the league gave Tennessee reasons to be ticked off. Yeah, and I mean, from what I heard, they were in the weight room when they shouldn't have been, and even after one of their players tested positive, they were still in the weight room getting together and stuff like that. So even if they were negligent, I think it just goes to prove that, um, yeah, that they're still focused on football, right? We've talked about it so many times on this podcast that this year you you have to be mentally tough. You have to be able to uh, to persevere through challenges, and the Titans have proven that they're capable of doing that, having as much time off as they did and coming back and playing a really good Buffalo team to beat them that bad. I mean, yeah, Tennessee is a, is a good football team and they proved it for sure last night. I would also like to point out that Josh Allen played a a pretty normal Josh Allen game in regards to what I think he is. So I'm just going to hold out hope that uh, this is the beginning of his descent back into Josh Allen-ness, even though I am starting to think that uh, I'm very wrong about him, but you know, I can dream. (laughs) <laughs> pulling no punches when it comes to Josh Allen. <laughs> so anyways, last week, uh, before I failed to hit the record button, or I guess after I failed to hit the record button, Adam and I broke down the uh, entire NFC West. And uh, I guess we'll do that again, because it is one of the most competitive divisions in football. And I think really it's between them and the AFC North now for for best division in football. So we got to talk about them. we got to talk about what we see with these teams. And, you know, we have another week of NFL football to base what we're saying off of now. So that's never a bad thing. So, Adam, why don't we get started? Seattle, um, another win this weekend. Not shocking. They're a football team sitting at 5-0, and which is, I mean, I, I don't want to say shocking. I think we expected them to be good, but uh, maybe not necessarily this good to, to be um, now, yeah, sitting atop as, as one of the only undefeated teams left in the league. Well, and I think that this team's success purely comes from how good Russell Wilson is playing right now, right? There's, um, yeah, I mean, if you're watching football this year, you know that that Russell Wilson is probably the most dominant player in the league. 
He's most likely leading the MVP vote as it stands right now. And I think that this Seattle team really is the benefit of the fact that their quarterback is playing at the best level he's ever played at in his career. Um, Question what you will about the Seahawks defense, but I have to go out and make this comment that the Seahawks defense has had the most pass attempts against them. They've had 239 pass attempts against them. And that's why they actually have the most passing yards against them. But if you look at the yards per attempt, they're quite a bit less than some of the other teams that are giving up more yards per attempt. So as far as I'm concerned, the question marks that people have about the Seattle team, which is their pass defense, is really not too much of a concern when you take into consideration how good that offense is and how much of, a, how much of their games they have the lead. I know that we talked about that last week, right? But the, the reality of it is this team is holding on to the lead for, for quite a while. This past Sunday didn't prove that <laughs> correct. But um, yeah, they have enough of the lead that um, other teams are throwing the ball so consistently against them. So if you're worried about their pass defense, I would say you don't need to be. Yeah, and I think they, they definitely came close to losing this undefeated record against Minnesota this week which no one wants to see that. Minnesota is not a very good football team. But um, I think the biggest story for, for the Seahawks this year, besides Russell Wilson playing out of his mind, um, is this emergence of DK Metcalf. <laughs> I think we saw last season some flashes from a guy, but there were still some overall question marks of if that was just kind of, um, you know, a rookie who wasn't drawing major coverage all the time and just sort of getting lucky on big plays. But all of a sudden, DK Metcalf, through five games now, is averaging 23 yards a catch. Um, he's averaging almost 100 yards per game. I think he has how many receiving touchdowns here? Like five through five games. Uh, DK Metcalf is legit. And I think I, it'd be pretty hard to argue, based on just these last five games alone, that he is not a top three NFL wide receiver. Yeah, and I, I think I saw something on social media this past week comparing him to Actually, it might have been Jamal Adams, so a bit biased, but um, comparing him to Megatron, Calvin Johnson, and I mean, both big bodied receivers, both guys that went up and got the football at every chance that they had. And I mean, he's been a red zone machine, right? Anytime that they get into the red zone, Russell Wilson's looking his way. I honestly can't say enough good things about DK Metcalf. And yeah, like the the relationship or the chemistry between him and Russell Wilson is it's just phenomenal this year. It's so fun to watch. Even if you are not a Seahawks fan, you have to admire the fact that um, those two are playing as well as they are. If you're a Seahawks fan, lots of optimism as the season progresses. As long as you guys can stay healthy, like this is going to be a really good football team to watch. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think um, I was about to just move on to the Rams. It would be a good idea for me to say what I think Seattle is going to look like down the stretch. Uh, this is likely uh, a real Super Bowl contender based on their offense alone. Even, uh, yeah, I know you've addressed the defensive question marks, but those even aside, this offense is capable of playing with anyone in the league. They're, um, what I said, Cleveland was second in points. I believe that's by 17. So it's not crazy, a 17-point difference over five games, but that's still leading the league in points four by 17. That's never a bad thing. So this offense is explosive. I think the Seattle team is a very very legitimate Super Bowl threat. And I think they've probably got to be considered the favorite right now. I don't think there's a team that I could say is more likely to win it after week five. Uh, Green Bay's up there too. And to be fair, Green Bay's only played four games, but they've averaged 38 points for in each of those four games. So 
I mean, oh, true. a little bit I of a great assault started there. missing games, so that is something I need to take into account on a points for stat. Yeah, so a little bit of a great assault. To be fair, the Seahawks have consistently put up unreal numbers. No matter how many points have been scored against them, they've won all five of their games. So the reality of it is this offense is capable of scoring as many points as they need to win. Um, but you're right. We, <laughs> I think we've said enough about the Seahawks and, and how good they are and the fact that they are probably the top team in the league right now, if not just behind the Packers. But um, the Rams aren't too far behind in this division, which is sort of, I don't want to say a head scratcher, but out of the four teams in this division, I don't think the Rams are necessarily expected to be number two. I could be wrong, but coming into this year, it was not expecting this. So um, they're a fun team to watch, I have to say. Well, and I think we have to we have to put a caveat on this because um, yes, they're four and one. Yes, they've looked good. Yes, Jared Goff played actually a really, really good football game this weekend. But the Rams have just had an incredible, well, an incredibly horrible group of teams to start the season against. They have essentially just beat up on bad teams. They beat the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Giants, and Washington. They, they just beat up the worst division in football. That's how they hit four wins. Um, and Buffalo was their loss, and we all know Buffalo's a good team. And yes, it was a three-point loss, but they've only beat bad teams, and I think that has to be something we pay attention to right now. Don't get me wrong. I, I do actually think um, L.A. is good. I, I think we're, we're seeing Sean McVay kind of get this bit of return to, oh, right, he was an offensive genius. We forgot because of a few bad seasons, and we're pairing that with what is one of the best defenses, at least statistically, in the league right now? Um, Jared Goff is, is playing well. This, this week, if I remember correctly, is, is almost certainly his best week of football that he's played. And um, that's what they're going to need. They, they have a good group of receivers, really a good group of weapons around the board, and, and a defense that can definitely keep up with any defense in the league. And that's something that I think has been missing for them in the past, right? As soon as their defense dropped off, the Rams offense just couldn't keep up. And especially last year, I want to say it was, I, I feel like the Rams had a really bad offensive line last year. Jared Goff really struggled, was hit a lot, was pressured a lot. And I think that that's been a big change to the Rams this year as well. The fact that their offensive line is um, in better shape. And yeah, I mean, Jared Goff is playing at a, a level good enough to win his, his team games. And that defense is playing at a good level. So to your point, Yes, they've got a pretty weak schedule thus far. They've faced a pretty weak schedule. But the reality of it is you don't control your schedule. They have done everything that they've needed to do to win those four games. And even that game against the Bills, they had a good chance to pull it off at the end. Despite being down, what, 28-3 to or something ridiculous like that, they got back into that game and they did have a chance to win against a good football team in the Bills, right? So as far as I'm concerned, these the Rams are not a team to be taken lightly. They do need to prove themselves in the games that they do have against good competition. But I think it, it all boils down to how well can this defense continue to play and can Jared Goff play at um, at a, a level good enough to win football games. And, and I say it that way because we saw last year, Ryan Tannehill was not playing at an MVP level when the Titans made it to the AFC Championship game. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not playing at an MVP level when the 49ers made it to the Super Bowl last year. The reality of it is a quarterback doesn't necessarily need to play at an MVP level to make it deep into the playoffs or to make it, you know, to have a great uh, record going into the playoffs. But um, 
you do need to play well enough for your team to win and for your team to have uh, the opportunity to win games. And so I think Jared Goff has the potential to play at that level. And if he can do anything at that level or greater, I think this team will be uh, a playoff contender for sure. Yeah, and I think I, I'm still kind of in the jury's out camp. I'm, I'm waiting to see them play some some stronger competition. But honestly, when you start the season four and one, even if you have some rough games against good teams down the stretch, they they have a really good shot at the playoffs just on um, on the record they have right now. So I, I think that they're going to be a team to watch, and and especially as we start to see the rest of this division play out. Yeah, with with wild card spots, especially with the extra wild card spot this year, they're they're almost certainly a playoff team. Um, I don't know if I can say the same for Arizona, and and that actually is so difficult for me because I was convinced that this was Arizona's year to really rise to relevance again. But I feel like apart from realistically one player on their roster that I can think of, um, this team really has just been a team full of disappointments this year. Kyler Murray has been fine, um, really underwhelming with a lot of the hype he was getting, not only for me, but from a lot of other people who saw him as a, as a real threat to be a top-tier NFL quarterback this year. Uh, Kenyon Drake, for all the offseason hype, has been essentially just bad. Somehow only has six catches through five games, which is absolutely crazy. He's averaging 3.7 yards per carry. Uh, Christian Kirk really has been a non-factor. It's just, it's it has not been a good year for Arizona. Well, no, and the fact that their best defensive player, as we mentioned earlier, and Chandler Jones, is now out for the year with a torn biceps. That's never a positive thing either. And Daniel, I feel like we've talked about it before, but their first round pick, Isaiah Simmons, hasn't been playing to the level that they thought he would be as well. So there's just all the the narratives coming into the season related to the Arizona Cardinals and um, what this team could look like have sort of been, um, I don't know what the word for it is, but disappointing to this point, right? And that all starts at the quarterback position with Kyler. I, I don't think that, He's playing at a level good enough right now for them to be a playoff contender. And this, again, I think we talked about this last week, but it's sort of like the Browns from last year, right? We had high expectations that go out, they get OBJ. We have high expectations that they're going to be a good football team and they just don't put it all together. And the Cardinals sort of feel like that this year. Well, Hopkins is, you know, succeeding very well as the receiver that they acquired um, over the course of the offseason. It's just this team is not where they need to be to be playing at a competitive level. So not that I'm ready to rule them out yet, but I, I just can't see this team succeeding too much going forward, especially in a division as competitive as this one is. On the positive side, DeAndre Hopkins has been incredible in that offense. Uh, he's got 45 catches through five games, 528 yards, still only two touchdowns, which is so disappointing. Um, but like, he's been so solid. I think like he is just destroying the league from that position and on, in that offense. The problem is it's not really enough to, to help them like rise above. And yes, I get that they're three and two. It almost feels like we're talking a lot of doom and gloom for a three and two football team. Um, but again, overall their competition hasn't been incredible. They, they beat the 49ers week one. Yeah, that was good. Then they beat Washington. Then they lost to the lions, lost to the Panthers. And then, they beat the Jets this week, who, as far as I'm concerned, are the worst team in professional football right now. So even their wins have not been specifically impressive. And again, Kyler Murray, the guy who's supposed to be the, the big all-star in that offense, even in their wins, really hasn't played that well. 
For sure. Yeah. No, it's true. And I think, yes, they are a three and two football team. And yes, that is a winning record and everything that you just said, Daniel, couldn't agree more, but I think they're like, <laughs> there's just a couple things when you look at this team that really stand out. Another thing that does stand out is, so looking at my notes from last week, when we were talking about this division, you know, um, one of my notes for the Cardinals was that they had only forced three turnovers. So wanting to update it for this week, I go and I look at, you know, <laughs> the stat line for this past week and the Cardinals defense forced zero turnovers. So that means through five weeks, they have only forced three turnovers. Um, you can't win football games like that, right? It, even if Kyler throws one interception, you've got to negate that by forcing one turnover the other way. And the, the Cardinals have not been able to do that. And so um, that's one stat that, yes, we're being a little bit pessimistic about a three and two football team. And I get that. But the reality of it is when you only force three turnovers, you're not going to win too many games, especially like, again, like what we're talking about when, when the Seahawks can put up, you know, 35 points any day when the Rams are playing at a good enough level that they can win football games consistently. Like the Cardinals are just not going to be able to win games without forcing turnovers and that defense playing better. So, um, yeah, a little bit of concern out of Arizona despite their winning record. It's just it's a matter of if they can turn around or improve or how drastically they can improve throughout the second half of the season. And then I think most shockingly, we somehow have the San Francisco. Well, it's not it's injuries. Injuries is somehow. But we have the San Francisco 49ers in last place in this division at two and three after making it to the Super Bowl last year, having a real shot at winning it. But ultimately and ultimately keeping almost all of their core uh, this team has not been good uh, their defense has been kind of the only bright spot their offense has really struggled Debo Samuel in his two games back has been disappointing after all the hype and the Niners feel like a team that probably is is already kind of worth counting out and I mean so much of it is just it's out of their control right the injuries that they've suffered um and even when those players have come back from injuries, it, it just it hasn't been good, right? I mean, Jimmy G, a lot of people were questioning him after this past week, the fact that they got blown out by the Dolphins. I, I've heard that you could just tell by the way that he was throwing that his ankle had not been healed. So it feels just like this is just not their year. It feels like um, they're in a really tough situation just with dealing with the injuries and, and not to make excuses for this team that we didn't necessarily make for the Cardinals when we could have. But um, they do have a tough schedule, right? Like they do have a lot going against them. And so, um, well, I think that they still can be a successful football team. I don't necessarily expect them to reach the potential that we all set out for them this year. It's an uphill battle, right? It's an uphill battle. And um, the storyline of this team is just that they're so consistently banged up. I, I don't even know what else to say beyond that. We're not talking about the San Francisco 49ers. We're talking about the people they're able to put on the field at this point, which is not, um, the top players on their roster. So I think what is it? Oh, I can't remember if I took a screenshot of this, but earlier this week I saw a picture here. Yeah. It's an injury bug. Um, it was a stat I saw on Instagram here. The 49ers have 13 players on IR, which is the most Oof. in the league right now. The Cowboys are actually tied with them and also have 13 um, on IR right now, followed by the Broncos at 12 Eagles at 11 giants at nine. And then a couple other teams at eight. So, I mean, when we're telling you the storyline that the 49ers are as banged up as they are, we're not making excuses for this team. The reality of it is that they are extremely banged up. And yeah, I, what else do you say about them? Right? Like, what else can you say? 
it's uh, especially in a division like this, it's hard to compete. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what puts the final nail in it, right? If, if they were in the uh, the NFC East, then then sure, uh, this football team could easily come out and win the division, but um, it's just too strong, right? And I think they might still finish better than the Arizona Cardinals once they start to kind of get things back together, once Jimmy G adjusts to being back on the field and all that, once hopefully Debo Samuel steps up and, and plays well again, but I, I just can't see them catching Seattle or LA anymore. And, and that wild card run is, I think, just it's a it's a huge long shot for them. So it might be that a team that we saw as a as a very very likely favorite is is just going to miss the playoffs this year. Yeah, and a lot can happen too. So yes, for talking very pessimistically about the Cardinals and the 49ers, but the reality of it is a lot can change, right? For the Seahawks, if Russell Wilson goes down at any point in time. Who knows what that football team will look like, right? This this season has proven that, um, yeah, I mean, no team is, is safe from the injury bug. No team is safe from a player getting removed due to COVID or due to coming in contact with someone that had or that had tested positive for COVID. So the reality of it is, like, this season has so much uncertainty tied to it. So while we talk pessimistically or optimistically about some of these teams, so much can change on a week-by-week basis. But it is fun to cover these divisions and, and break them down to – I mean, sure, at least from this point in time, all that we can on what they look like at this point in time and what they can look like towards the end of the season. But, um, yeah, always fun chatting the the NFC West, especially. So then we have three games that are are absolutely huge in week six, whether it's uh, just a fun matchup or really big divisional implications out of them. And um, one of the one of the big ones is. Um, from two of the better teams in the league to this point, coming off of a loss going into week six, obviously now hungry to make up for that. And that's Kansas City and Buffalo in this weird four o'clock, I guess, what is it, three o'clock by the official NFL time? Or no, what is it? They're an hour, whatever. Four o'clock our time, central time, uh, Monday game. Really, really weird, but COVID. Um, both teams leading their division, but but both teams obviously going to be hungry for a win and, and a Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes matchup is, is kind of exciting, even though I still want to believe Josh Allen sucks. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the reality of it is these are two of the better teams in the AFC. And so uh, both teams just coming off their first losses of the season. Exactly. Like you said, um, it'll be an interesting one, right? If, if we consider the chiefs to be the highest standard of the AFC or among the highest standard of the AFC, which I don't think too many people would argue at this point in time. Um, what, what kind of benchmark is this for the bills then? Is this going to be, um, you know, a point in time when if the bills win this game, do we crown them as the, you know, one of the best teams in the AFC at this point in time too, who knows, right? There are um, so many question marks up in the air with, you know, how the bills played, on Tuesday night and how the Chiefs played on Sunday. So um, honestly, I think the, the two main questions I have going into this game is, uh, can Josh Allen bounce back and go toe-to-toe with Mahomes? Because we know that Mahomes can play at a high level. And the question is, can Josh Allen play at that high level when he does need to against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs? And the other question that I have is, um, despite the Bills' defense being the defense we thought would be one of the top in the NFL this year, it has not been. So can the Bills in any way limit Patrick Mahomes or will this be a blowout too? And I'm more so leaning to the fact that this could be a, you know, a 35 to 20 type game. Not that that's necessarily a blowout, but I don't think it will be as close as some people are calling for it to be. 
Yeah, it's kind of hard to predict. Um, these are, I mean, A, yeah, like I said, the, the QB matchup is intriguing, especially because Josh Allen um, is currently outperforming Patrick Mahomes in every statistical category. Uh, better completion percentage, <laughs> more yards, more touchdowns. Oh, no, sorry, more picks. So that's that's the one. That's the one edge Mahomes has, um, but even a better passer rating. So that's, oh, I hate that. Um, but that is an intriguing matchup. And the defenses, right? This is where things start to get interesting because at this point, um, I mean, these were two teams that their defenses were being talked about pretty highly coming into the season. We all knew the Chiefs offense was going to be good. We didn't, I don't think anyone expected the Bills offense to be this good, but they were supposed to be two teams that were really helped by strong defenses. And um, truth be told, to this point, uh, the defenses, at least yardage-wise, are middle of the pack. Um, the Chiefs have done better with with points, but that they do whatever they want, and that ends up dictating game flow. But really, their defenses have not been strong suits. This could become a, a crazy shootout, and I don't know if it actually will. But I think it's time that one of these defenses makes a statement and says, we were the defense you thought we were going to be, and this is the week to show it. For sure. And I think that, um, yeah, it's a good point. If Josh Allen plays at the level that he can, well, and see, that's the tough part. If Mahomes is limited by the Bills' defense, it goes to show that the Bills' defense is stepping up. If Josh Allen is limited by the Chiefs' defense, is that Josh Allen playing at a lower level? which is, you know, sort of typical with what we've seen in the past, you know, previous to this year, or is that the fact that the Chiefs defense is now playing at a high level? So I completely agree, but I think that the players that have a lot to prove is Josh Allen and the Chiefs defense. That would be my argument to, to that. But um, anyways, yeah, it'll be a really good game. But I have to say, it's not the only game in the AFC this week that's actually really exciting to me. And I mean, we talked about the AFC North a little bit earlier, but the fact that the Browns and the Steelers are playing each other this week is another really intriguing matchup between two teams with four wins as well. Yeah, because the Chiefs and Bills both have four wins, I believe. So yeah, lots of teams with four wins playing each other in the AFC. What do you think of the Browns and Steelers game this week? This might end up being the game of the week, just in terms of being exciting and fun to watch. Um, and it kind of sucks because, you know, they have both sides have some players who are banged up who we'd like to see play. And, and I've not seen the injury report closely enough to know um, if some of those guys will get to play. But, um, it, yeah, it's this game kind of just like the um, the the Raiders Chiefs game was so big. Uh, this one's going to be huge down the stretch. If the Browns pull out a win here, they really put themselves on track to potentially win this division. Um, if they lose, I think we could see the beginning of not a meltdown, but at least a, a, the beginning of uh, maybe some disparity growing in this division. It, it's going to be um, it's going to be so much fun to watch. The the big difference here being that while we were just talking about both the Chiefs and Bills having really strong deep offenses and needing to have their defenses step up, uh, Pittsburgh has a really good defense, and the Browns is really good against the run, and, but that's about it. So the, the defensive matchup really strongly goes in the Steelers' favor here, but that doesn't always mean a lot. Uh, this, this Browns offense did just kind of do very, very well against a Colts defense that was the number one in the league in almost every category. I don't really know how to feel about this game, but all I know is I want to watch. 
Well, there's a couple interesting things that stand out, you know, some of which you mentioned, and, and that's the fact that, I mean, the Browns' defense isn't necessarily great, but I think I mentioned it earlier, the fact that they have a plus-six turnover differential. They have 12 takeaways on the year. And so, I mean, we've seen defenses like that in the past. They don't necessarily have the best numbers when it comes to, um, you know, yards given up and, and things like that. But if they're taking the football away, that helps a lot, you know, with getting their offense on the field and just keeping the momentum in the, in the game. And so um, I think that's going to be a really fun uh, component of this game to watch because Big Ben is playing at a great level right now, right? He's has, he has 10 touchdown passes to one interception through four games because they've only played four weeks. Um, so that's, you know, a 10 to one touchdown ratio is pretty good, even though it's early in the season. But if the Browns can force a couple of turnovers there, and I realize that interceptions aren't the only ways to take the ball away, but if that Browns defense can force interceptions or if they can force fumbles and take the ball away from a red hot Steelers offense, I think that'll be a really interesting component of this game to watch. And also it's a question of, to your point, right? The Steelers defense does have the advantage at this point in time, but what level is Baker Mayfield going to play at? You know, Baker Mayfield hasn't played great in the past and the Browns have found a way to win four out of their five games. So it's interesting to to think about if Mayfield plays at a you know a great level, what will this game look like? Or if he plays at a subpar level, how like what will this game look like? So I think that um, you're right. There's so many different things to watch here, and uh, it should be a really good one between these two teams. I, I honestly don't know what to say other than I think the defenses are going to make up a huge amount of this game. Like the storyline between if the Browns can take away the football or if the Steelers can force Mayfield to have a terrible day. It'll be quite interesting. And because of those narratives, we're talking about, you know, the on-field stuff as opposed to the off-the-field stuff <laughs> related to Miles Garrett and all the, you know, the, I don't know if you've seen too much about that, Daniel, but apparently um, Mike Tomlin was asked about if they've had conversations about Miles Garrett hitting um, Mason Rudolph with his helmet last year. And there's just been a bunch of stuff like that on social media. So it's exciting to not, think too much about that but on the field what this game will actually look like yeah i mean and that's with the browns and steelers that's always going to be a, a dynamic same with the really the, the browns ravens and steelers those those three matchups at any time can get really really ugly so you never know i think we just have to hope that we don't see a repeat of what happened last year and then one one last game moving out of the afc this Bucks Packers matchup is actually really interesting. Uh, the Bucks kind of got embarrassed by the Bears, and I know it was a close loss, but it was a loss nonetheless. And we've all now obviously seen the play where Tom Brady threw the ball away on a fourth down, um, maybe misunderstanding what was going on. It's hard to really tell what happened on that last play, but uh, Aaron Rodgers, as we've said, is, is playing incredible football 13 touchdowns and not a single pick through four games, which is very Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't turn the ball over very much, but that's still um, just incredibly impressive. Really, their whole offense, um, it is just the best in the league. I think you just have to say that. Uh, you have, yeah, being second in total yards, third in passing yards, fifth in rushing yards, first in points, fourth and third down percentage. Um, they're, they're dominant. But on the other side of the field, you have the Bucks defense that has been shockingly good. Uh, second in total yards, ninth in passing yards, first in rushing yards, eighth in points, ninth and third down percentage, a really good defense on the other side of the field. And that seems 
looks like it has to become the story. I know we're going to want to make it Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, but I think it's just time to say Tom Brady is not the same Tom Brady he was five years ago. You know, he's been good this year, but not great in an offense that I think we all saw him having potential to be incredible. So I think it's going to come down to Aaron Rodgers against that Buccaneers defense. Yeah, I think so too. I don't expect this one to be a shootout, but um, absolutely, right? That The Bucks team has only given up, or Bucks defense rather, has only given up 22.4 points per game. The Packers have put up 38 points per game. So uh, it will be uh, an argument between those two. Um, uh, yeah, those two, what am I trying to say? Units. <laughs> um, and I think that'll ultimately be what determines this football game. You know, to your point, Tom Brady just isn't playing at the level that he needs to be playing at in order for this Bucks team to be great, but um, maybe this is the week that they step up to. The Packers defense isn't necessarily the best in the league either. Um, so who knows? Um, this will be definitely an interesting one to watch because I think it does validate exactly what you said, right? That Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are truly a great offense if they can dummy that defense. So um, yeah, I completely agree. This will be a really, really fun one to watch. If it's a Bucks lose this game, which seems like the likely outcome. We're, we're probably maybe starting to to see that this team and and really the, the division that we talked about as being one of the fun ones in the league. Uh, the Bucks losing would be a big deal. Them dropping to 500, uh, that that would not be a good good place for them to be with the Saints and the Panthers um, both obviously being able to win games. So it'll be, I think that alone, it, it's kind of. I mean, we're, we're in week six. Now Now things are starting to really matter, right? Those first few weeks, you can recover from big losses. But now, this almost feels like a must-win for the Bucks. I think so. Yeah, as, as things get more competitive in their division, and as the Panthers aren't going away either, right? This isn't just a two-team race. I think this will be a, a three-team race for a prolonged period of time. So I completely agree. The Buccaneers can't afford to lose any games right now. And so... Um, well, people may not want that must-win label on it. I think that in their heads, they have to be thinking about that for sure. So, um, yeah, no shortage of, of headlines <laughs> looking into week six, that's for sure. So with those the big games of the week out of the way, Adam, let's turn our attention over to fantasy football. It's a weird season because of games getting rescheduled and players getting COVID and not being able to play. for. Like, it's a weird fantasy year, but... Um, with that in mind, you know, we, we still um, we, we still got to try to win our games. So, Adam, going into week six here, who are, who are a couple of the guys that you're thinking really deserve a start on fantasy rosters? For sure. So I'll list my two. Um, I have to say Jonathan Taylor running back for the Colts against the Bengals this week is looking very appealing. I have him on both my teams, so I'm a little bit biased here. But the Bengals have given up the third most yards per game on the ground. So he... If he's a person that you haven't had a lot of confidence in just because he isn't doing all that well with the touches he's getting, um, I think this is the the week that your patience is potentially going to pay off. Um, so definitely look at giving him a start. And then the other uh, start that I'm highly recommending for this week is the Steelers' defense. Um, you know, like we talked about, just talking about that game and, and getting ready for it, I think that Baker Mayfield will make the mistakes against this defense, and I think that the Steelers' defense will play at a superior enough level that um, you can expect a couple turnovers to be forced in that game so if you're wondering whether or not to start the Steelers defense against that Browns offense I would say to pull the pin and, and to do it so um, 
maybe that's a risky one that could win or lose you this week, but I have to say it, it's worth a shot. So yeah, I I have uh, I my choices are are risky this week. I'll be honest because I'm jumping straight on the Chase Claypool hype, hype train. Um, I saw flashes from him in week two that were interesting to me. And I was, you know, starting to say, like, okay, maybe maybe this kid's got something. And after this week, the Steelers showed a real commitment to him as a player, not only with seven catches, but also three rushing attempts. And no, he's not going to go out and score four touchdowns again this week. Um, but it seems like they, they see what they've got in him. And he's starting to feel maybe like this year's DK Metcalf a little bit. That big play threat who dropped a little bit in the draft because of other question marks about whatever it is, right? Route running, or I, I believe that was actually the concern with both of them was just the more refined aspects of their game were maybe lacking. So I think against the Browns, this is a good game to start them in. Uh, the Steelers and the Browns are both just going to be looking to score points on points on points. So it's a good place to go. And um, I've, I've done this fantasy start recommendation before, um, and, I'm, and I'm doing it again. The Miami Dolphins are playing the worst team in professional football. Uh, the New York Jets are terrible, and Miami's offense has shown an ability to uh, to do some some pretty good things if, uh, if put in the right circumstances. So Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, Mike Gesicki, uh, Miles Gaskin, something Gaskin, I can't remember his first name right now, and even Ryan Fitzpatrick have to seem like interesting starts. And I bet in, in some leagues, these guys are available still on the waiver wire in some situations where... Maybe people aren't necessarily digging as deep for talent. So uh, they've got to be appealing starts this week. I'm starting for sure at least one member of Miami's offense on my team this week, maybe a few by the time all is said and done. Which is really interesting because, I mean, knowing Ryan Fitzpatrick, when you expect him to be terrible, he plays amazing. When you expect him to be amazing, he plays terrible. So, yeah, it's an interesting one to watch for sure just because, yeah, man, Miami's like they have the potential to be so dominant for sure. and. And then just so much talent in that uh, in that offense. So it'll be interesting to see if they can produce. I'm starting Preston Williams in one of my leagues this week. So I very much hope that you're right. And that uh, that my own Miami offense puts up good numbers against the Jets for sure. But um, I mean, I just have a there disgusting was... amount of Dolphins on my team because I actually currently <laughs> on the roster in our fantasy league. And I this I hate this, but like it's just how things have worked out. I currently have Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Kosicki, and Miles Gaskin all on my roster. I, oh, of course. it's bad. I, I'm not willing to start all of them at once, but it's just I was desperate for players at certain times, and it's actually worked out kind of fine. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're they're putting up numbers, especially when they put up, what, 43 last week. I mean, all of them had, I think it was, yeah, Preston Williams had a pretty good game. I didn't see what the, the rest of their fantasy numbers looked like, but... I mean, those guys continue to put up decent numbers, so definitely not bad roster spots to hold there for sure. As long as your bench isn't completely dominated by one team, which it sounds like sort of is, but not fully for you, <laughs> you're not in too bad of a spot. But if you had to pick uh, one player this week to be the, you know, to have the the best week, um, or to phrase it better, who do you think is the player of the week uh, going into week six here, Daniel? Um, I'm a little shocked that I'm saying this, Adam, you're going to be a little shocked that I'm saying this, but, uh, I'm taking Jared Goff. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like we, or like I said earlier, he's, he's been playing fine this season. Um, and, and last week was one of his stronger games, but it, it feels to me like if this team is going to be 
truly successful, he has to step up at some point. And, and honestly, what a, what better time to do it than in Sunday night, a Sunday night football game against the 49ers, right? This team that was supposed to be the, the dominant team in the division to, to step up and have one of his best games of the season, get that like big win against a team that at least in the eyes of people should be really good, get his team up to five and one. It would be a huge week. I think Jared Goff has got to go. He's got to play that kind of football this week. And I think him and Sean McVay are going to game plan and make sure that that happens. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm curious how much of you saying that has to do with the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick had 350 passing yards and three touchdowns last week against this defense. But I, I, I completely agree. Um, he's primed to have a really good matchup. And so I, I didn't choose him as my player of the week prediction, but I'm going to go with another quarterback. And I'm going to say Big Ben. And for all the reasons that we discussed previously, I think that Big Ben is going to be primed for a big game. The fact that he's not committing too many turnovers this year. I mean, he's only thrown one interception, which is really great to see. And the fact that the Browns have given up the third most passing yards. Um, yes, they have the second most pass attempts against their defense. So the logic, um, you know, could be argued like I argued earlier for the Seahawks defense. But the reality of it is Big Ben is playing you know, at a really good level, the Browns pass defense is not necessarily playing at a great level. And so I think that this will be a week where we see Big Ben put up some great numbers. And when he has weapons, like you talked about in Chase Claypool, um, as well as all the other, you know, stars that they have on that offense, I think that he's primed for a great week. And so what about your struggle, Adam? I know that we've, um, yeah, we've, we've asked this question every week and uh, though our accuracy has been questionable, I, I'm still curious to hear who you're thinking going into this week is, is really not primed for a great day. Well, I, I tried to pick a player this week that has been really good this season, actually. And in some cases, I would argue has been quietly good this year. Um, so Robbie Anderson coming over from the Jets, playing for the Panthers this year. I don't think many people expected him to be playing at the level that he, he is. Um, he's had double-digit targets quite often this year. and I mean, even I think it, the least amount of targets that he's had in the game is five. So when you're seeing the ball that often, you're going to catch the ball a decent amount and you're going to, um, you know, put up a good amount of fantasy points. But I have to say um, this week going against the Chicago defense, I think that we saw last week with the Buccaneers that um, this pass defense is not one to be messed around with. And so I think that despite the fact that especially if you're in a PPR league, you like what Robbie Anderson has done for you. This might be a week where you sit back and you you try not <laughs> to force him into your starting lineup just because of the fact that that Bears defense is really strong uh, through the air. So um, a little bit of a bold prediction. I could be wrong and I could, uh, yeah, <laughs> I could be proven very wrong if he puts up good numbers. But I have to say that he's one that um, I'm not necessarily willing to take a risk on this week. What about yourself? Is it an individual player or is it a full offense that you think just isn't going to produce this week? I do just want to say kind of on what you said, it, it's a little crazy how Robbie Anderson has performed this year. And um, yeah, like I, I have been a huge critic of him. So, do you know, what? good on him if he continues to put up performances like this. Uh, maybe it was just a change of scenery that he needed. Anyways, uh, Buffalo's offense. I, I've talked about this earlier. I, I think the whole offense, uh, I think the whole offense, I think the Chiefs defense is actually, you know, quite good, at least personnel wise and, and stats. Um somewhat show that and in some elements and another uh, I, I think last week we again maybe started to see a bit of Josh Allen regressing back to his normal state 
and I like everybody's on the Josh Allen hype train and I'm fighting and fighting it. And eventually I'll have to, I just think that, that this is going to be a week where um, the, the chiefs want to get that big statement win after a, a division loss that really had a lot of implications. So I think that defense has to step up. They, they really don't have a choice and often desperation is, is what can lead um, to some pretty great things in the NFL. So for me, that's kind of what I'm seeing going into this week. I think um, maybe Stephon Diggs will still have a good game just because of the bulk of targets that he receives. But I think on the whole, the rest of that offense is going to be having a bit of a rough week out in Kansas City. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, a pessimistic week if you're uh, a member of Bill's Mafia. But, I mean, we could be <laughs> giving them a lot of credit next week if they pull off a win against the Chiefs. So I completely agree that... Uh, it's an uphill battle for them, but yeah, it'll be fun to see. I'm, I'm interested to see specifically if that Bills defense can exceed your expectations, Daniel, because I think a lot of people um, are in your same party and uh, are willing to say that they're not nearly as good as we thought that they were through the first four weeks. So um, it'll be an interesting one. I think that that's probably the, the top game for me that I'll be watching. So um, yeah, maybe next week we'll, uh, we'll be talking a different narrative when it comes to that team. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, this is the point in the season where things do really start to matter. And, and in, a, in a, you know, in a league with only 16 games, every week obviously does. But, um, you know, records now are getting to be to a place where you can really make judgments about where a team is headed. And I think um, with the amount of divisional or conference matchups that are going to have some real long-term implications in the season, we are starting to now hit the stretch where teams are, really fighting for their lives where teams are really fighting for those divisions, really fighting for playoff spots and um, all of the, the stuff with COVID aside, you know, we're going to start to see teams that are really going to have to, to dig in and play great football, regardless of which of their players are on the field or are not on the field. So we're, we're now hitting the point where there's no more excuses about no preseason. Uh, there's no more excuses about no training camp. You've got to go, you've got to play your best football and you have to win games. And, and that's a fun time to be a fan because it's when things start to get really good. So with all the matchups this week, I am excited to see what happens. I feel like it's just been a year of, um, wait, really? That team beat them? Or this team is 0-5? Like, I, just a lot of surprise and a, and a lot of fun to be part of it. Yeah, for sure. And it feels like this year, more than any year, and I could totally be off, but whatever. It feels like the last two minutes of a football game this year means so much more than in past years. I don't know if that's just me noticing that or if that's the way it actually is, but it really does seem like you can't count teams out this year. They're just There's a lot of resiliency, a lot of mental toughness, and that's ultimately why so many teams are doing as well as they are. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those years where it's not necessarily going to be the best team that wins, but it's going to be that mental toughness through players testing positive or through the injuries, like you mentioned. So... A wild year. Definitely a wild year. Yeah, so uh, so speaking of those last two minutes, uh, we have exhausted ours. So uh, as always, we will see you again next week.